I'm Gabby Hi, I'm Emily Fennigan. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw. Hi, this is Holly Evans. And I'm Ben Hook. In conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. <laughs> Hi there and welcome to another episode of Hooked on Sport. This is episode number 20 and it continues our look into the challenges of indoor sports who are making their return to action. Now before we get into it, a quick note, if you missed our return to sport webinar on June 3, you can still catch it online. It features five industry leaders on physical and mental well-being and if you have a leadership role at your club, then it is worth taking an hour of your time to tune in. Go to the Hooked on Sport Facebook page or at hookedonsport.com.au. Today, I'm about to chat to Michelle Doyle, the CEO of Swimming SA, and Adam Luscombe, who oversees the wonderful SA Aquatic and Leisure Centre at Marion. Michelle and Adam have earned the unique distinction of at one stage during the pandemic, managing the only international standard pool in the world to be able to remain open for its elite swimmers. But what about the other suburban and community pools throughout SA? How have they survived the shutdown? We find out when Adam and Michelle join me right after this. Hi, I'm Nastasha Buck, CEO of Gymnastics SA, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. Adam Luscombe, Michelle Doyle, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Great to be here, Ben. Thanks for having us. Adam, with everything that's gone on over the past couple of months, how did you manage to keep the Marion Swimming Centre open? Well, mate, it's been a challenge and uh, a good little analogy is what we call the Black Swan document. And uh, for those that are familiar with Indigenous culture, basically the Black Swan is the absolute sign of optimism. Um, (laughs) I'll let people research the background story and all that sort of stuff. But uh, when all this crisis started, we very much looked at what the Black Swan uh, event was, you know, the one in a hundred year disaster but our Indigenous culture looks as a 100-year um, opportunity. And uh, with that, we uh, planned it out and mapped it out, what the uh, crisis would look like, a hibernation period, and what the recovery looked like. And when we had to stand down 257 staff, it was very difficult. Um, however, those staff have just been fantastic with the culture and the environment they've come back with, volunteering their time to keep us in a space that we're ready to go. And uh, with the relaxation and the great work of South Australians to work on the COVID uh, response and isolation, we're back there in some sort of way, Ben, and it's, uh, it's going well. But the work with Michelle Doyle has been absolutely fantastic and her work behind the scenes uh, with both the health department, the officer Reckon Sport and the work of the officer Reckon Sport um, has really put us in a good state to be at least open to the community and serve the community as the YMCA do. Uh, Adam, can I ask, you've got the, uh, I know you've got elite athletes with trampolining in the facility. I think there's also a gymnasium in the facility. Have they had to be managed in a different manner? So, Ben, uh, the Olympic champion, Kyle Chalmers, came back uh, first in the world to be back in the water. And uh, if you speak to him and ever get a chance to talk to him, he sees that as a massive opportunity on on his US uh, and uh, worldwide uh, competitors. Um, that he's had that psychological advantage to be back. Matty Wilson, Trav Marnie and the Sassy team were back in early. Um, they've been managed a little bit differently through that. First, they were in early. We quarantined them um, as we went through the crisis before. They've then been back early. Sassy Diving have come in and uh, you know, Matt Carter and the team, you know, world champion silver medalists and so on, 
So we've given them a bit of private access or VIP access in the period. We were very lucky to be in a space with Dr. Jeff Vera where uh, we did a lot of work in testing um, to pave the way for the next return of the Marion Swimming Club and Michelle Doyle um, has done a bit of work with her swimming clubs in that space and they're part of that. With the trampolinists, uh, Ben, and uh, some of them, the use of the gymnasium, we're not in access mode at the moment with them just because they're the dry sports. But that, as things are now starting to lift, we'll start to get them in that space. Michelle, we've already heard the name Kyle Chalmers. For most people who don't have anything to do with swimming, they would believe that swimming is Kyle Chalmers and not much else. Just tell us a bit about what Swimming SA does under normal circumstances. Yeah, so I guess um, I guess Kyle's great for our profile, um, and we love him to death, and, and we we always wish him well. Um, but yeah, we are I guess we're obviously the State Sporting Association uh, with our 50 clubs across uh, South Australia and also Broken Hill in New South Wales, which has been interesting managing two state uh, sets of legislation during COVID. Um, so I guess as a State Sporting Association, we're primarily uh, charged with assisting our clubs with governance and, and education and building a sense of community, really. Um, and obviously, we've we've had to change and split our business model. Um, and as we've seen our community kind of torn apart, um, we've had to build a digital community just to keep everyone in touch. So really, that's, that's been our focus about creating a, a good culture and community through the digital means um, on one hand, whilst we've been educating and providing governance to clubs on the other hand. Michelle, you and Adam have done a remarkable job keeping Marion open. What about all of the other swim centres around Adelaide and around the state? Where are they at with their various levels of openness to the public, if you like? Yeah, so we have a real mixed bag. Um, we've got, uh, obviously, the centre here at Marion's been open for a fair while at Salks. Um and then we've had a few other private operators who have a couple of clubs more in that high-performance space as well, um, up at, at Norwood and places like that that have also been open for a bit longer. Um, and we also have some venues that are yet to open, and, and they're just their operators, whether it be Belgravia or YMCA, are just going through a process, a risk management and planning process, um, alongside our clubs to ensure that they can open as soon as possible. Um, I guess, unfortunately, in these times, a lot of it also comes down to finance and what is economically viable for, for a venue um, and, and those that really don't have any choice to open until they've got 20 or 30 or 40 numbers. Um, so there's a few that will still open in, in June, uh, but hopefully by the end of the month, we'll have most of the centres back open for not just competitive swimming, but also recreational use as well for the general public. Michelle, I note that on the website, you've cancelled pretty much every one of your events until the end of June. When do you start to see yourself getting back into some sort of club competition? Yes, I think that's an interesting question. The one that um, the answer I'm going to give you today is different to the one you would have got yesterday. <laughs> um, we we really were hoping to be back into some sort of um, even virtual club competition in, in June, um, given that we had obviously the exemption to get back in the pool early around Easter. We just didn't see enough venues opening quick enough because of all those economic reasons that we're now sort of delaying the start of our competition again. Uh, it looks like it'll probably be early to mid-July mid um, and it's going to be a very different looking competition because it will have to be focused based on when the athletes actually got back in the water um, and there's a lot of our little 8, 9, 10-year-olds who aren't even back yet and won't be back um, until probably about that time. So we're going to have to look at and we are looking at changing the structure of our competition and, and why we actually have competition and 
we often have competition to achieve high performance goals. Um, but, you know, in these times, it's really about participation and getting out there and social distancing while also enjoying other people's company. Adam, I'm fascinated by Marion. There aren't many facilities that cater for the social athlete and the elite athlete at the same time. I mean, the social footballer doesn't play at Adelaide Oval, nor does the social cricketer, but really only golf courses and swimming centres, as far as I can reasonably think, cater for the absolute top end. I mean, you've hosted a number of national championships there at Marion, but also the day-to-day swimmer like me who just comes in and maybe does a dozen or so laps and that's about it. Are there unique challenges that you have to managing a centre like that? Oh, Ben, very very much so. Um Obviously, uh, we don't have always understand the community, uh, understand that we've got to have the elite end and we have what we call priority of use that looks after the major events in sport. Um, in another life, and uh, I'm sure you know this gentleman well, <laughs> Rod Hook was very uh, <laughs> very adamant to me, Adam, make sure you've got the balance right. It's a big equilibrium, uh, Ben, and uh, the challenge is always there. But uh, if we understand that the facility is built to host those major events, we would otherwise we would have had a smaller centre, and we may not have even had the aquatic centre in Marion, and we're very lucky to have it in the southern area. Um, the infrastructure piece is for the major events, but you know what? The community get to see all that, and the fact that they get to swim alongside our um, Olympic champions and the and the swimming club comes through from a grassroots perspective from the swim school. There's that real aspirational uh, spot, and and don't forget that there's an opportunity to serve all our beaches, uh, you know, with our surf lifesaving community and our football communities around here. That a lot of them will use this facility as. Uh, their state-of-the-art uh, venue to keep fit over winter or you know rehab and so on. And we've got an obligation to do that. And uh, we've, we've been embraced by South Australia's public. Um, and, uh, you know, over 1.3 million visits a year, you know, it was only ever built to take 750,000. Wow. Um, you look at that and go, the public uh, are really an integral part of everything we do. We have to balance it out. There are times where various groups get access Putting it in a lap swimming vernacular, though, the swimming squads will probably have access to probably four or five hours a day. The public, pre-COVID, have probably got 12 hours a day. So there's a good balance in that space. What about going forward? I mean, all of these... uh, So North Adelaide's a classic example of what, in its day, was a wonderful facility, but it ages and deteriorated and we moved on. Uh, What are the things that Marion needs to do to remain state-of-the-art? Well, we're in a we're in a position, and you know, obviously Michelle can jump in here too. That we're always at the cutting edge of hosting national, international events. You look at we've had uh, two world life-saving championships, which we've done very well at, and uh, bought the tourism dollar to South Australia. We re- routinely hold the Australian Age Swimming Championships, where you know, a massive economic impact of about four point five million dollars. Olympic trials will be the third time. Um, only Sydney's held it uh, four times. So we're right at that cutting edge. If we can get a 2026 Olympic trials, um, we'll be right up there and we need to keep investing. And we're lucky under you know, um, Minister Wingard that we've got that investment and uh, Kylie Taylor from the Office of Record Sport. We've got that continued sight on what we need to do to keep bringing events back to South Australia. And then the public get the benefit of that. So, you know, for instance, you put a new video board in, it's a state-of-the-art, probably, uh, you know, up to the level of Adelaide Oval or even better because technology moves like that. But then the public get to see that with a a dive-in video or we run the Whippet and the Splash Park and they get to watch the greatest, latest release 
on the screen, and uh, you know they, that's part of the uh, the public journey into those pools. So can I tell my father that he made a mistake not getting that organised earlier? He doesn't admit to too many mistakes, Adam. <laughs> He's been a great mentor of mine. Please don't do that. <laughs> Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. The present situation can increase our anxiety, which is completely normal and understandable. To try and reduce some of this anxiety by practicing our breathing or deep muscle relaxation techniques, maybe some mindfulness, or even dancing, singing, or maybe even yoga. And now back to the show. Michelle, I'm really interested in what the regional reaction has been. And it's very easy for us as Adelaide residents to be a little bit Adelaide-centric, but you've got a whole host of regional venues who... I imagine have had to deal with the news of COVID, but haven't really been exposed to it at all. Has that been a bit of a balancing act for you as CEO of the entire state organisation? Yeah, it's a very interesting, um, interesting dilemma, I guess, to, to deal with. And um, it, it, COVID kind of hit, I guess, towards the end of our summer season. Um, so a lot of our, our regional venues um, basically saw out their whole season anyway and have just closed. But what they're now finding they're needing to deal with during an off-season when they're usually playing footy or netball is all this governance piece of work around being safe and ensuring safety and ensuring good health and hygiene practices and, and thinking about, well, what is it going to look like in six months' time when they need to come back for summer and getting themselves prepared now? So in one sense of the word, whilst they're not in their local communities really exposed to COVID on a you know an everyday a day basis and they're not having to implement strategies and programs and planning immediately like our bigger indoor winter venues are, um, they're actually having to try and guess effectively, as we all are, what's going to happen in, in six months' time to get themselves prepared and planned and be able to show their local community that, yeah, they are a safe place to come back to and they're a good place for the community to, to gather responsibly and, and undertake um, sport and recreation. So it is a lot. We've got, as I said, 50 clubs. We've probably got them in... 27, 28 different situations um, just as, as how the sport operates and, and they're all navigating their way through it as best they can. This is probably a question for both of you. I'm interested in participation rates and I don't know how easy this is to measure over a fairly short period of the last couple of months, but I've noticed a number of sports which aren't necessarily team sports or competitive sports have remained or even have remained buoyant or even grown over the course of the last couple of months. Golf, the, the participation numbers have exploded in golf, in, in athletics and fitness and walking and jogging and those sorts of things. Have you seen a growth in swimming in the past couple of months or has things remained fairly static? So I suppose from a, um, I guess, a general recreation perspective, we've seen a lot more people swimming at the beach for a lot longer into, let's call it the start of winter than we would normally see. Um, and, and those people are potentially the people who can't get into a venue because um, venues have all been closed sure. um, apart from the Aquatic Centre and until the last couple of weeks, other venues. Um, so really, as far as uh, membership and percentage of numbers goes, we haven't seen a great deal of deal of growth um, just because there actually hasn't been a lot of physical activity for them to be able to do. Like but we have seen it. A lot, yeah, we've seen a lot of um, extra online. Like our Facebooks had some sort of random astronomical number of, of hits um, 
over the last seven weeks. And it's, it's people who are just liking us and finding out what's happening and where they can potentially go back to. And as soon as public lap swimming was available at various venues, it's pretty much been um, looked out the whole time. Adam, is the facility that has been open for an ex- for much of this period, have you seen your, your I guess your regulars appear a bit more often? Well, obviously, um, with the online swings coming back as just of last Wednesday, um, our Facebook's gone through the roof. And uh, in fact, we had a bit of a look at this before uh, today. Um, our our um, Facebook site uh, trends well above uh, um, the Marin Council, um, all the other sports, uh, including the SANFL at the moment, um, for people looking for something that's going on. And uh, we've seen the numbers come through uh very, very fast. If the swimmers are swimming on the hour now for 45 minutes, they're booking in and uh, we've got to have a great demand in that space. Obviously, one of my other jobs is I sit on the board of Surf Life Saving um, and uh, you know the team down there have done a bloody good job in terms of keeping uh, numbers right and all that type of stuff. But we've seen you know, a want to re-engage in, in both surf life saving, swimming, uh, sport, uh, in, in a recreation perspective. But I think the real testament is when we open the doors for the Marriott Swimming Club to come back in, as Michelle's spoken about with the other clubs, uh, we haven't lost anyone. And uh, people are actually wanting more sessions and you know, and all that type of stuff, obviously all following the AAS guidelines. And that's, but that's been the thing. We've had to just put the harness on them a little bit and say, hey, hey, hold on, we're just coming back after an eight-week break. Um, and everyone's super excited to be back. And I think they're waiting for the next stage of competition and that to start. Adam, Michelle, you've both mentioned open water swimming and surf lifesaving. Just how mad do you need to be to swim in open water in this time of year? Well, if you live in South Australia, it's a little bit chilly. Um, <laughs> although the Tasmanians would, would probably disagree with that approach. There's a lot of outdoor swimming, particularly in Victoria as well, um, that they swim 12 months of the year. So it's, it's kind of cultural around the country. It's done in different ways. But yes, you are you probably have to be a little bit mad to swim in down at Brighton today. It's a bit chilly. <laughs> I've always thought Tasmania would be a great place to host a summer and a winter Olympics at the same time, because I think you could probably pull that off. Probably, yes, probably. Hey, I just want to ask you about uh, some of the elite athletes that we've got around South Australia. Kyle Chalmers is pretty much a household name. Travis Marnie, some people may have heard of. Uh, Madison Wilson as well. We, we're going to send 22 athletes to the Australian Championships. So there's a real depth of talent around the place. Perhaps, uh, maybe Adam, you'll have a bit better focus on the swimmers out of Marion. And maybe, Michelle, just a couple that we should maybe be watching out for when we do return to sport. Uh, I'll start with you, Adam. Who are the ones that are catching your eye? Well, we've got, we got a couple uh, in that space. And, uh, you know, you never want to put much pressure on them. And when the Australian Age Championships were cancelled, um, you know, there, there's some uh, really good... Uh, Young kids coming through. Tom Lightfoot is obviously uh, is a standout. Um, he's a SASI scholarship holder at the next level. Um, he's done a fantastic job in getting his 400 IM right down, working on all his four strokes. Um, then we've got a couple of kids that will make Australian uh, finals um, in that space. And then we've got a couple of good young ones coming through. Um, they're showing a bit of promise in that sort of space. But in terms of our girls, you know, Kiana Pierce, Kenya Thomas, um, and a couple of the boys, you know, Ryan Clifford, Clancy Luscombe, um, you know, they're, they're around about the mark and they'll, um, you know, we've done some damage, we think, at that level um, and doing quite well. 
And uh, Michelle's got a host of uh, other athletes from Norwood that are doing a fantastic job, Southern Performance, uh, Barossa, and I'll hand over to her to, to tell you about some of those talented athletes. Yeah, so thanks for the intro, Adam. Um, I think we've, I guess we, you mentioned 22 athletes going to potentially the what was going to be the Australian Championships. We take it one step further, I guess, and we would have had close to 80 heading towards both the Australian Age Championships for our junior athletes as in, and including the Open. Um, so across that range, we're looking at probably about 18 programs across the state from everyone down here at, at Marion through to uh, the Barossa Valley and, and even to Silver City in Broken Hill, um, where we've got, we do have a few uh, national age group championships, uh, champions, and we would have thought we would have done pretty well uh, this year in Perth as well. Um, and fingers crossed we might have them competing on home soil next year in Adelaide. But we're, we're looking at athletes such as um, Harley Eye Kerthoy's Davies from the Barossa. Exactly um, who I wanted to ask dad... about, Michelle. What a great oh, really? name, first oh, of all. But yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, a, that stood yeah. out to me. Uh, made the Australian or the South Australian Open team from the Barossa, which, I mean, there, there must be some challenges to be able to reach that far uh, from what would be, in relative terms, uh, perhaps not not the greatest infrastructure or facility. Yeah, I think that's um, and it's great you bring up infrastructure, obviously, because that's a, a big key thing for us being in a state that doesn't build a lot of new pools very frequently. Um, so we're we're looking forward to hopefully having that change over the the next few years and building a lot more of those let's call them larger regional centres that would obviously then be able to support what happens at, at Marion and at North Adelaide. Um, so I, I think being in the Barossa, it's one of those tricky ones. You're country, but you're not really country. And it's good to see that out of a small 25-metre program that's run up there, um, they do have indoor water all year round, that um, you know that, that program's going to have two or three athletes probably head towards national age next year. And Harley I obviously being the, the outstanding swimmer that she is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real um, testament to their, their dedication and their drive um, and the commitment. And it, and it's whilst the athletes are in the water and most of them are kids in the water, it really is the parental commitment and support around them, those that drive them to training at 5 a.m. every morning. Um, and even some of those parents like Harley Eye's father, Tony, who is actually the coach of the club out there. Um, on deck with them and coaching them and living their hopes and dreams as they do. Kyle Chalmers' uh, career began in Port Lincoln, part of the West Coast. I noticed that, uh, gee, you go far and wide, Michelle. Uh, you've got athletes out of uh, Broken Hill, Silver City. Um, it, as I said, West Coast, Southern Performance, Renmark. So uh, it must be quite a bit of work to coordinate a program that allows you to, to identify these athletes. Yeah, I guess, and, and talent development is obviously one of our, our key things, and it's talent development at the level relevant to your access to facilities and, and how many months of the year swim. We have a lot of clubs who obviously only swim 12 weeks a year over summer because they're in unheated pools out in, in regional council areas, and that's a big infrastructure project for us to start heating them over the next couple of years, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it, it is a, it, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that, um, you know, water's part of our life, it's part of Australian culture, and and we will always be there. And, and it's up to us to reinvent the challenge around creating high-performance programs and creating participation programs that can fit the need of the majority of our members at any one given time in the state. Adam, Michelle, a thrill to talk to you this afternoon here at Hooked on Sport. Uh, you are a real success story of what's been able to achieve in, in cr incredibly challenging times. We appreciate your time today. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Bruce McAvaney, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. So thanks to Michelle and Adam for their input. 
and we can look forward to seeing a new generation of young SA athletes mixing it with the best swimmers in the country in the not-too-distant future. You heard the names? Hopefully you can remember them and one day you'll be saying, ah, I heard the swimming people talking about their promise on that Hooked On Sport podcast. So we've touched the wall on episode 20. Episode 21 is another feature on indoor sport, gymnastics. I'll be chatting to Gymnastics SA CEO, Nastasha Buck, so keep an eye out for that episode to drop in the next few days. As always, our gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation with support from Business SA and SA Health. Hooked on Sport is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know where to find us. Shoot us a note and say good day. Thanks to Ben Watson, who wrote and recorded the musical intro to Hooked on Sport, and to the show's producers, Wallace Long and Desiree McMahon. We'll see you soon, right here at Hooked on Sport. Hooked on Sport.